Amen. Good morning, Harlem. Let's thank our worship team once again. They do a fantastic job. You know, there's a lot going on behind the scenes as well. Manny and Charmin is back there making sure that our slides and all the volumes and all that stuff is, is on point. And we want to thank these guys and all our ushers and make sure everyone has a seat and that you get your communion and all that. All you have to do is show up. Look at that. That's all you got to do, right? Well, amen. We're going to conclude our series on repentance. I know some of you are like, praise God. I think it's important sometimes for us to focus and just park on a subject to really drive it home. And I don't know about you, but every day this week, I've just been thinking about where do I need to repent? Where, where am I lacking? What do I need to work on? And, and, and why? Why have I not repented? And and, and I think it's important for us to also remember God's grace, because I think we can often beat ourselves up when you realize that there's been an area in your life that you haven't repented of. You can beat yourself up, and that's not what God wants. We already learned that that's worldly sorrow, that self-pity party. We're not going to have that in Harlem, right? Because that doesn't get you anywhere. You'll never change anything by throwing yourself a pity party. And so I want to inspire you today with what godly sorrow produces. Amen. Is that all right? Let's go to God in prayer. Our great and awesome God in heaven, Father, we come before you thanking you for the gift of repentance. Thanking you for giving us a way to turn away from our sinful life and turn to you. Uh, Father, all of us, uh, Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of you. All of us was heading in the wrong direction. And because of your love, your grace, and your mercy, you have inspired and encouraged us to turn towards you. And, Father, I pray that we'll leave here encouraged, that we'll leave here deciding to uh, make a plan for our repentance, God, to accept your invitation. And, and I pray for those who have yet to decide to make you Lord of their lives, that they'll be uh, one step closer to making that decision. And for those of us who have made Jesus Lord of our lives, God, help us to embrace your grace and your mercy and, and come back, God, and come restore our souls, restore where we're lacking in our faith. Uh, where we're lacking in our discipleship, and encourage us uh, to move forward. God, we love you. Let my words be yours. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I also just wanted to thank everyone for your prayers. My son came home Friday from the hospital, and uh, he's happy to be home. There's still, uh, we still have a long way uh, to go. They're home right now. He's, you know, still a major surgery, so, you know, we didn't want to have him bumping around in fellowship and accidentally hit his arm. So uh, Zalika's there, and um, she's loving up on him. So she sends their love. Uh, please pray for us. It is a long road to recovery, but God has been with us every step of the way. Be refreshed. That was the name. That's the name of our series. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big cough, uh, Coke drinker or a soda drinker, but I can't help but uh, be drawn to that Coke Zero. You guys know what Coke Zero is? As soon as my slide starts working. There we go. All right. Be blessed to be refreshed. That's the title of my message for today. Blessed to be refreshed. Coke Zero. You guys know what that is, right? For those of you who drink soda, Coke Zero is a great product for those who are, who are looking to lose weight. You know, you know, you can add on those, those, those unwanted calories, drinking soda and 
But you can lose weight while still enjoying the refreshing taste of a cold Coca-Cola whenever you want. You know, the zero means zero sugar, zero calories. And it offers all the great taste of a Coke without any calories. You can enjoy this thing, and it's like, man, I'm drinking a Coca-Cola, although I, I should be feeling guilty, but I'm not, right? And that's what we all want, isn't it? We want all the joy without the required discipline. Christians today seem to be in search for Christ zero. They want all the joy of Christianity, the blessings, the promise of heaven, the fellowship and so forth, but without having to repent. Christ zero. I want all the blessings that come with knowing Christ, but don't ask me to change anything. Don't ask me to repent. You know, during his earthly ministry, Jesus made it very clear that the only way to heaven was through repentance. His first sermon was to call people to repentance because the kingdom of heaven is near. And in Luke 13, verse 5, he says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. He was having this conversation with the religious leaders of his time who thought that people who died a tragic or horrible death died that way because of how sinful they were. He thought that tragedy, they thought that tragedy was directly connected to a person's sin. Jesus says, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. So just because someone died a certain way, doesn't mean that 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 person's sin is more egregious than yours. Repentance is for everybody. And that's what Jesus said. Now, here's the good news. God is patient, isn't he? God is patient. And we want to say amen to that because 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Now, this does not mean that God is sitting around waiting, you, waiting for you to get all the sin out your system until you feel like, all right, God, I've done everything I want, and now I'm ready to change. That's not what God is waiting for. God is patient, meaning that God will delay his coming to give everybody a chance to repent to identify his love in their lives. See, love is the reason Jesus is delaying his second coming. He wants everyone to have a chance to repent. Now, here's the thing. God gave everyone free will. God will never force you into a relationship with him. He gave everyone free will, a chance to decide whether to accept him or reject him. And sadly, some will choose to use their free will to reject God. Now, this is where godly sorrow comes in. Because godly sorrow helps you to see your need for God. Godly sorrow opens your eyes to how God has been gracious to you, how God has been merciful to you, 
how God has been patient with you. And so godly sorrow is a response to the love that God has shown you. I mean, when you think about the sin in your life and how God delayed his coming just so you could have a chance to change that, that should motivate everyone to change. I mean, think about this. If you owed $10,000 to the IRS, let that sink in for a second, right? Because you know the IRS will get that money one way or the other. Whether you decide you're going to pay it right away or not, they will get their money, and they will find you. And it tends, they tend to do it at a time when you don't want them to find you. But imagine... You get a letter in the mail, and they say, Mr. So-and-so, Ms. So-and-so, you owe us $10,000, and we want all of it. But we're going to give you some time. You don't have to give it to us right away, but you will have to pay eventually. Doesn't that give you some sort of relief? That, man, even though I have to still pay this, I don't have to pay it right away. Now, even, you know, that does give us some sort of relief because at the end of the day, we have to pay for our sin. There's no doubt about that. All sin has to be punished. That's just the way it is. But God's solution to that is I'm going to send Jesus to wipe that debt out for you. All you have to do is respond to that love. So the IRS is like, all you need to do is send a response that you got the letter and that you are okay with this plan. How many of us will be running, I mean, you'll be running to the mail to put that letter in? Yes, I accept the extra time. Because you just can't believe that they're showing you that grace. But you see, God is patient with us. God motivates us with promises of blessings, and he doesn't even have to do that. But God knows us. God knows that if, we, if he really wants us to do he's got he's to promise a reward. He's got to show us that it's worth it. He's got to give us some incentive. And so even though heaven should be enough, God also says, you know what? I'm even going to throw in some blessings. I'm going to bless your life. To get you to repent. That's how much I love you. I want to move you so much. I'm going to bless your life. You get to be with me in heaven forever. All right? That's the big prize. But then I'm also going to bless your life on earth until you get there. I mean, how much more does God have to show you to get you to repent? God is like, man, I'm wiping out your sin. I'm opening up my home to you. I'm going to bless you ten times more than what, I, what you've already given up. And by the way, this is your sin we're talking about. Nothing I did wrong. I held up my part of the bargain. You messed up. But I'm willing to initiate this reconciliation. What excuse do we have? 
What excuse do we have to not accept God's invitation to repentance? You know, David is a great example of someone with godly sorrow. And so I want to look at Psalm 32 today. Is that all right? I want to look at Psalm 32 to just see the attitude of someone who has godly sorrow and just what that's produced in their life. Because I do believe that most of us here really want to have that peace of mind, knowing that we're right with God. I think some of us are still on the fence. But I think the majority of us wants to embrace this gift that God has given us. So let's start. Psalm 32. You can take out your Bibles, turn your Bibles on, whatever you need to do. Psalm 32, verse 1. How blessed, how happy is the one whose rebellious acts are forgiven, whose sin is pardoned. It doesn't say blessed is he who's never rebellious. Clearly, God would, you know, he would rather us not be rebellious. However, when we are, God is willing to forgive. God is willing to forgive. Romans 3.23 says we all sin, but God is even willing to forgive us of whatever sin we've committed against him, whatever offense. God is so much better at this than us. God is willing to forgive whatever you've said, whatever you've done, whatever you didn't do. God is willing to forgive. And they said, David is like, how happy is the one whose rebellious acts have been forgiven? You know, when you really understand what God is doing here, you will be a happy person. It's when we sin and do not seek forgiveness, that's when we're really miserable. When we don't seek that forgiveness, when we don't go to God. You know, those who are truly happy are the ones who have had their sins pardoned, like David said. In verse 2, he says, in verse 2, How blessed is the one whose wrongdoing the Lord does not punish, in whose spirit there is no deceit. You know, the point is not that the individual is sinless or pure. In this context, David is saying, you know, it focuses on, on confession and forgiveness of sin. David is referring to the one who refuses to hide his sin, but instead honestly confesses it to God. No deceit. I'm not going to hide from God. I'm not going to, you know, I believe it's in Isaiah. We says that, you know, we can't hide from you. Even in the darkness, you can find us. For as darkness is as light to you. There's nowhere you can go to hide from God. And so why hold on to your sin? Why hide it? The Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, he who conceals his sin does not prosper. But whoever confesses, and renounces, in other words, whoever confesses and repents, when you renounce sin, you turn away from it, finds mercy. Finds mercy. You gain nothing by holding on to sin. We gain nothing by holding on to sin. Now, David points out in verse 3 of Psalm 32, when I refused to confess my sin, my whole body wasted away. When I groaned in pain all day long. Have you, have you ever 
had to deal, resolve something with somebody, and you knew you were wrong, and it just bothered you all day. I mean, all day long, you go to work, coworkers are like, hey, you okay? Yeah, you know, I just got something on my mind. I'll be, I'll be okay. And I mean the train ride, just heavier than usual. You get home, you, you, your body is just you, just, you just feel it. You know, when we refuse to repent, it drags us down emotionally. Physically, we feel it. It feels like we're wasted away. I know sometimes when I know I said something wrong to my wife, and I know I got to go and apologize, there's that big thing that's right in the way, pride. And pride is heavy. Pride is burdensome. It, it, it just, it, it just, it weighs on you. And you start to feel your love, your happiness just to fade away because you know you got to go and apologize. And sometimes our spouse doesn't even have to point something out. The spirit convicts us. So you know that was wrong, right? Why don't you go and apologize? And we just don't want to go right away because we're like, oh. I blew it again. And, and then we go right to the pity party. We break out the little violin. You know, and we sing out, oh, yeah, I messed up again. When am I going to get this right? I'm a terrible husband. I should have never married. The Lord should have never blessed. Just go and apologize. I mean, it ain't that deep. Just go. I'm sorry. Hey, what I said, did that offend you? You might even be surprised. They might be like, you know, oh, oh, oh you said that? Oh, I'm sorry. You beat yourself up for nothing. Just go, hey, I'm sorry. Came out the wrong way. I didn't mean that. Forgive me. You move on with life. You know, instead of soaring on eagle's wings, you feel like you got on concrete boots because you're refusing to confess your sin. Sometimes we worry about what other people might think. What are people going to think about me? My reputation in the church. They're not going to look at me the same. They're not going to ask me to do things. They're not going to ask my advice. They already don't, but they're still not going to ask my advice. <laughs> we get so self-conscious. We avoid the fellowship. We avoid people when we're in sin. And we try to conceal it. And here's the thing. God's going to expose it anyway. So you might as well just go ahead and say, hey, look, man, I blew it. Can somebody help me out here? I mean, just get the, even if you got to text somebody, God even gave us technology. Even if you don't want to voice it, text somebody. Hey, I, I do that all the time. I send out group texts, meet the evangelists. We got this whole group meet thing going. I'm like, yo, pray for me. I blew it today. And then somebody will respond, and then we talk, and it feels good to get it off my chest. I don't like holding on to sin. Get open. Get honest. Get refreshed. Verse 4. Manny, help me out. There we go. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You know, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is weighty and powerful. You'll sense that you're in a dry place spiritually when you're holding on to sin. You'll sense that your spiritual fortitude, your spiritual strength is being zapped. Things that you were once able to stand up again, now you're easily falling over to. 
Like, man, I, I used to be able to stand firm with this. Now this, I tripped up over something now because you're holding on to something. And you're weakening your armor of God because you're holding on to sin. And so the Holy Spirit's not going to let his hand up until you get open, until you get honest. Hebrews 12, verse 6 says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. You know, sometimes it's hard disciplining your children. But you know that this discipline is going to lead to character. Good character if you discipline them, if you punish them. If we let our kids just get away with stuff, they become the type of people in society that we don't like. Sitting down negotiating with your kids, what is that? You better discipline that child because if you don't, the authorities will. Someone will do it. So you better do it. Oh, but she's so delicate and she's so sensitive. And, and you know what? Amen. She'll be all right. He'll be all right. You're all right, right? And we got a lot worse than what our kids get. You talk about spanking your kid now, you will get arrested. Blown up on the news. They will cancel you on social media for giving your kid a pow-pow. You can't even say that now. We talk to people about giving pow pow. They're like, oh, no, no, I can't speak my child. What? Let me tell you something. God will spank you. And God will not hesitate because you are his children. That's what the scripture is saying. He punishes those he loves as children. We're God's children. God is going to discipline us when we step out of line. Just like any loving parent will do. Now, you can't go overboard, obviously. God knows just, he knows the right amount of discipline to exert, to get us to do what we need and to teach us the lesson we need to learn. Psalm 32, verse 5. Then I confessed my sin. I no longer covered up my wrongdoing. I said, I will confess my rebellious acts to the Lord, and then you forgave my sins. This should be the attitude of every disciple here. I will confess my sin. I will no longer cover up my wrongdoing. Then it says, and the result is God will forgive you. God will forgive you. In 1 John 1 verse 9, it says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God will make it as if you never sinned before. Isaiah 43, verse 25, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. That's how God forgives. When God forgives you, he doesn't bring up your sin again. He doesn't even remember it. I wish I had that ability. But I think I think the power is in that for my own sake. You know, God doesn't want to look at us and remember how sinful we are. So he's like, I'm going to wipe my mind clean. I'm going to forget this ever happened. We're going to move forward. God has that ability to forget, and we need to praise God for that. In Psalm 32, verse 6, for this reason, every one of your faithful followers should pray to you while there is window, while there is a window of opportunity, certainly 
When the surging waters rises, it will not reach them. You know, everyone who considers themselves godly will pray to be brought to repentance. He talks about a window of opportunity. God has given each of us, each and every one of us, a window of opportunity. No one knows when that opportunity will pass. We don't know that. But God knows. And God is patient. He wants everyone to take advantage of the opportunities of repentance he gives to them. Because that opportunity, that window will close eventually. And after the, once it closes, there's no second chance. You know, it talks about the waters. The surging water rises. You guys remember the story of Noah, right? Noah built this ark. He preached to the people to do what? Repent. There's a flood coming. God is going to wipe out everyone. What did people do? This guy's crazy. Building a big boat. What is he building a boat for? Where's water? There's no water around here. This guy's crazy. And I think sometimes we think God's messengers are crazy. Because they're calling us to change our whole life. Are you crazy? I can't stop smoking. You know how long I've been smoking? I can't just cut off this relationship. We just got an apartment together. How am I supposed to just up and leave and, and, and live in purity? I mean, that's, you're crazy. How can I just walk away from this job? I just got a promotion. So what? I can't get Sundays off. Me and God is good. He understands. He knows my heart, and only God will judge me. That window will close. And just like the people in Noah's day, once the floodwaters come, that's it. That's it. You know, I remember years ago, there was a young lady who studied the Bible with us. And she, she got to a point in her, her, her studies where she was counting the cost, but there was a relationship that she had abroad that she refused to give up. She felt like it was too hard for her to put Jesus above this relationship. She loved this person, and he loved her. And so she stopped her studies she went across seas to be with this person. The day she arrived, she got into a terrible car accident and died. Closed. See, I, don't, I know we don't like to think about stuff like that. But that's a reality. That's a reality. You know, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there, he's still there. We still have opportunity to turn to him. Don't miss your window of opportunity. In verse 7 of Psalm 32, you are my hiding place. You protect me from distress. You surround me with shouts of joy from those celebrating deliverance. You know, we need to see God as our safe place. We need to see God as our hiding place, our barrier to sin. God wants us to turn to him and not the things that are so temporary, the things that make us feel even more guilty, 
and more disconnected from God. He wants us to be his saint. He wants us to come. You know, I love, you know, you read throughout the psalm, David often refers to God as his hiding place, as his refuge, as his fortress. As his, he uses these, these, these descriptions of a place where nothing, no enemy can penetrate. And that's how he sees God. So when he's in sin, he wants to go to his safe place. And look, I know we talk about confessing sin to each other. We need to do that. That's what James 5 tells us, confess to each other. But the first one we need to go to is God. We need to take our sin to God Almighty. We need to get refreshed. We need to embrace his mercy and his grace and and get filled up once again. But you got to see God as your safe place. When we put those expectations on each other, We will let each other down every time. You can't be there for me all the time. I can't be there for you every time. But when we put these expectations on each other, where this should be our expectation of God, we get discouraged. And we don't talk to anybody. Because we convince ourselves that I can't talk to anyone. There is no safe place because you're choosing the wrong place. Now look, I appreciate people who feel like they can confide in me. I appreciate, but my my thing is I'm going to just point you to God. Because I know there's times when James Warren turns his phone off. I'm not going to be available. But God is always available. He God can handle your problems. I can't. God can listen to you for hours. I can't. Matter of fact, I won't. God will sit there and listen to you. I mean, emotions, crying, snotting, whatever. God will sit and listen. He will listen to you talk crazy, outrageous. He won't interrupt you. He will just let you get it all out. And then he'll help you come back to your senses. But you've got to see that he's there for you to do that. That you have someone to go to. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed is the Father, blessed is God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts who comforts us in all our troubles. He didn't leave anything out, all your troubles, so that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, it's easier to be there for others when you've been refreshed yourself. It's hard to be there for people when you're going through something, when you're dealing with your own issues, when you need to be comforted. But you see, God doesn't want us to waste the comfort we receive from him. There's a purpose to that. So when someone is going through a hard time and you're there for them and, 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 and they need to now go be there for someone else. You know, yesterday we laid our sister, Miss Gloria, to rest. And it was so encouraging listening to the stories of different brothers and sisters and friends share about how she was there for them. 
One family shared how, you know, they were going through a hard time and the brother's wife was unable to take care of the kids. And, and they welcomed them in their home. And her and Inga took care of them. And I thought, man, that's, that's, they were comforted. And I'm thinking, man, you know, they were able to do that because they themselves received comfort from God. And that's what it should look like. That's what it should feel like. That's the blessing of repentance is that we get to be a part of a community of people who are looking for opportunities to comfort someone in need. And then God tells David in Psalm 32, verse 8, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. You know, Jesus, he promised his disciples just before dying on the cross that he would send a counselor. He would send the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit would convict us and teach us and guide us and counsel us. You know, God did not leave us to, to, to live in this world alone. We have his Holy Spirit with us. He will teach us. He will guide us. He allows us to see things from God's perspective. When we allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit, we can see things the way God sees things. And the Bible tells us that who knows the mind of God except the Holy Spirit. So if we're connected to the Holy Spirit, then we also are connected to the mind of God. We are able to be connected to what God thinks about things. When we're disconnected from God, and the Holy Spirit, we don't see things the way God sees things. We don't see sin the way God sees sin. God sees sin as something we must avoid at all cost. When we have that connection, we see sin as something to avoid at all cost. We don't justify. We don't cover up. We don't let ourselves off the hook. We deal with it the way God deals with it. And that's what he means. Well, I will teach you. I will instruct you. And in verse 9, he says, do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. You know, when it comes to repenting, let's just be honest. Some of us can be flat out stubborn, just like a mule. Don't make God get your, have to get your attention. In Proverbs 23, verse 6, it says, A whip for the horse, and a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. It's foolish to be stubborn when it comes to repentance. You see what God did to Pharaoh? God had to break him down, and he still refused. Held on to his pride. Still refused to repent. You know, sometimes when we're stubborn, we miss out on so many blessings. So many opportunities for God to use us and move us and move through us. I thank God. God had to, you know, I was that mule 23 years ago. And God had to whip me into submission. 
God had to win. And I felt bad that it took that to get me to, to repent, that I couldn't just stop and look at how God had been kind to me all my life and just say, you know what? Let me respond to that. God had to whip me like a stubborn mule. That doesn't have to be you. That doesn't have to be you. You don't have to be whipped and led like a donkey with the bridle to submission. You, don't, you can decide, you know what? God has been kind to me. God loves me. I'm going to change this just because. Just because I love God. And if we respond to God's love in that way, Proverbs 26, well, we read that, verse 3. A stubborn person needs to be whipped into repentance. That doesn't have to be you. But if you choose to, if you're the one that has to learn the hard way, then God will oblige. He would rather not because he gave you free will. But if he has to, because he loves you, he will do it. He will give you exactly what you want to teach you that that's not what he wanted you to have. And then he'll sit and say, all right, are you ready to listen to me now? Are you ready to learn or do we got to go through this again? Do we got to go through this again? Okay, amen. Because I'm really getting tired of this. We don't need to be like Pharaoh. We can be just like the king of Nineveh. One time. One time. That's all he needed. He repented. The whole nation repented. And these were some terrible people. Psalm 32, verse 10. An evil person suffers much pain, but the Lord's faithfulness overwhelms the one who trusts in him. Psalm 23 says that our cup overflows. You know, our life will overflow. God will overwhelm you with blessings when you repent. When that godly saw, when you... When you finally, I mean, I remember when I finally surrendered to God, I was so overwhelmed by how much love I got as a result of repenting that it was overwhelming to the point that I was afraid to go to church. I'm like, man, there's people hugging me, and I don't know who that person is. Everybody's happy, and, I, and I, I, I've never been this happy in my life, and, and, and it's just you know, you, you kind of like, you're, you're afraid to let yourself go because you don't want it to end. And you're like, man, if I give my heart, will it all, is this real? And until this day, I'm still excited and feel overwhelmed. My, I, my life has just been overwhelmed with God's blessing. That's how God responds. When we respond with repentance, he will, his blessings overflow into your life. You can't even count how many blessings. You try and you stop at 100 because you're like, man, I can't keep going on. There's just so many blessings. And just when you thought you've counted them all, God reminds you, oh, forget, don't, don't forget this one. Or somebody will remind you that you are blessed in so many ways. But that's how God is. Repentance is how we access that. It's how we receive that. You know, when Jesus approached Jerusalem, he wept. He wept because he said, how long have we been, we've desired to, to, to cradle you and to hold you dear like a, a, like a mother holds her children. God, he, God is looking, desiring 
for us to change and come to him. Jesus wept because of the lack of repentance. And he came, and there were still some who refused to believe. But then there were some who responded. And their lives were so joyful that Zacchaeus gave up everything. He says, Lord, here right now, I'm giving back. And if I owe anyone, I'll give back ten times more. Why? Because God overwhelmed him with blessings. He saw that what he had was nothing compared to what God was giving him. And then lastly, in Psalm 32, verse 11, it says, Rejoice in the Lord and be happy, you who are godly. Shout for joy, all you who are morally upright. When is the last time you just let out a shout for God because you were just so grateful for what God has done in your life? You know, I'm a big sports guy. I go to games and I be screaming my head off. I leave horse. When my team scores, I shout for joy. And when they, look, when they mess up, I'm on the very borderline of, you know, saying some things that a godly person shouldn't say. But because it's so, you're so emotionally involved, you're so emotionally connected that you just can't control or contain yourself. The World Cup just ended. There were people losing their minds in bars and, and, and in homes and people screaming, goal. I mean, they just lose their minds when their team scores. Or if you just found out that you won the lottery, people would probably have to tell you to shut up and sit down. You couldn't contain your joy. But we got something far greater than any of that. We got our salvation. We got our redemption through Christ. We need to rejoice and shout for joy. We should be happy that we're forgiven, that God is forgetting everything you did, past, present, and what you will do in the future. God is willing to forget if we come to him and be repentant. That should be so, I mean, that should make us so excited. Knowing that the creator of the universe is willing to move heaven and earth to be with me? Repentance is a blessing, church. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. Too many stubborn people are out here still unwilling to admit that they have sin in their life. It's only when you learn the depth of your sin can you truly, truly appreciate what it means to be forgiven. You know, when somebody knew or knows that, man, I, I just got to get myself together. And when you realize the gravity of your sin, to have that taken away, it's like the woman in Luke 7. This woman was a prostitute. And she walked in and she saw Jesus. She couldn't believe it. She had that window of opportunity. 
And she didn't hesitate. She didn't talk herself out of it. She didn't, she didn't discourage herself. She didn't keep her. She fell at his feet. And she wiped his feet with her hair and her tears. And why does she do that? Why does she do that? It's because Jesus says that her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. Now, I've wrestled with this passage for a long time. Many different occasions. And I thought, what does he mean, forgiven little? Because, you know, you, one sin is just as bad as the other. So what does he mean? What Jesus is saying, when you see that your sin is little, you respond like you've only been forgiven for little. But when you realize the gravity of your sin on your life and those around you, and you realize how much you've been forgiven, you see just how much you were loved. This woman knew my life is not where it needs to be. And she loved God. She fell at his feet and she worshipped him and she went and she gave godly sorrow. And Jesus said, That's what I'm talking about. Her sins are forgiven. You know, when you realize how much God has forgiven you, you'll respond in kind. We'll close with 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I would like to close. I want to ask a special person to come up and help me close out this this series. Ms. Jeanette Foster. In 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know, this is godly sorrow, Old Testament style. Earnestness. My people called by my name. You know, when you realize that you are called by God's you. Re- I'm a child of God. What am I doing? What am I doing? Eager to clear yourself. He says, humble themselves. Lord, I blew it. I made a mistake. Help me out here. What indignation, alarm, what longing, what concern. You pray and you seek his face. I'm not going to hide. I'm going to take responsibility. And I can't believe I allowed myself to slip again. And then there's readiness to see justice done. You turn from your wicked ways. I'm prepared to deal with whatever consequences will come because I'm ready to move forward. And then here comes the blessing. The Lord will heal their land. In other words, I will bless and refresh them. I will make it as if they never sinned against me. That is what it means to be refreshed by God. To have your sins wiped away, but then to also welcome the blessings of our almighty God. The Lord wants to renew us. He wants to revive us. And he wants to refresh us. Ladies and gentlemen, Ms. Jeanette Foster.
with bitter resentment. I'm losing my vision. I keep changing my blindness, hoping to see better instead of wearing scriptures as my prescription. The injustices of this world continue to scratch my lenses. The less we talk about society, the more I become apprehensive. Is being Christian synonymous with oblivion? Or am I too statue of liberty to fit in this conservative religion? When folks try to hug me, my body becomes cold with tension. My walls rise up like an army of clansmen, and I feel like I'm alone in this prison, constantly attacked by Satan, fighting against misogyny, homophobia, rape culture, sexism, and racism, and everyone's joking around asking me why I look so serious, as if they're bored of the board is causing so much division. Don't they know the church is full of immigrants? Is hearing about the oppressed a crime I've committed? Is there hope for change or a plan of resistance? Or do we just pray the evil away and continue being ignorant? Apathy has become the new epidemic. Seats are empty because folks feel neglected. They don't see themselves represented. I know I should pray more than I protest, because all the fruits of my spirit continue to be stressed. God, you are my witness. How do I repent from this? I'm accused of being more of an activist and less of a Christian. My child, you wear your pride like a necklace. So I lynch you with humility because that noose got you acting a bit reckless. You boast about your identity, betraying my allegiance. You're proud to be black, but are you ashamed of saying you follow Jesus? If you don't doubt yourself, then you will never find freedom. I see black empowerment has become your obsession. But if you forget your good confession, don't you know disobedience is the cause of your depression? I am the Prince of Peace who delivers people from their oppression. I sent you to baptize people from all nations, to advocate for integration. You want to be an activist in this world, but are you ready for assassination? They will kill you before they love you. That is humiliation. You forget you were made in my image. I took you from out of your grave and brought you into my village to fulfill my pilgrimage. I warned you that if you don't repent, you'll perish. Your Savior is Jesus, not Malcolm X, even though he too went to Mecca and found repentance. Do you... Carry your cross as much as you raise your fist. You plead for the culture, but you seek first the kingdom. Have you forgotten your purpose? I am here you're supposed to worship. I taught you to be, stop entertaining Satan at his circus. I taught you to be like Mufasa, the star is seen on the surface. You rebel and treat my grace like it's worthless. I will hold my wrath to repent and become a better person. I know you want to do good, but my good will is perfect. You wear yourself thin, fighting for your race. But do you read my words and fight for your faith? When people torment you and spit hatred in your face, what do you say? I warned you that destruction is found through the widest of gates. I know you care about justice, but trust that I am the judge of this world's case. I need you to persevere and pray. Do not give up on me. You will be okay. Fix your eyes on my son when your mind is gray. You are an instrument of righteousness. Take off your chains. This is not the white man's religion. You are not another slave. When you are dead in your doubts, I will keep you saying, lean not on your own understanding. Do not resist my ways. Be innocent like a dove or shrewd like a snake. Remember, I promise you welfare in your face. Surrender your will to me for Christ's sake. I know you want to fight for things above, but take off your gloves. Resist the devil, let your weapon be my love. 
Do not conform to the patterns of this world and may be world and just forget that Jesus is Lord. Thank you.